Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church located in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you will hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a message from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Amen. Well, good morning. Here we go. Week number two, hey, dudes, God do it again. Come on. It's going to be a great time. Hey, uh, just keep your ears uh, open, eyes open, whatever else you do with them. I don't know. The dates and information on all of the different missions, trips. We've got 12 now this year. We had 13, but we are not going to Israel in a month or two, whenever that is. So uh, sometimes things shift a day due to, you know, airlines or whatever, but uh, the one coming up Ukraine, big deal. All the cultural trips are local. You can stay in your own bed. It's just $200, and we give half of that to the local ministry that we work with. And so we're a blessing to those neighbors, and we get to learn a lot about that. And uh, then we have till this Thursday for you to sign up uh, for Egypt. Pastor Vicente, my opinion was hard to understand. It's $100 to reserve your spot for Egypt, non-refundable, because we just have to book uh, we have 30 right now. We can go as high as 40 going to Egypt. We just have to uh, give that to the airline. Otherwise, we can't be on the same flight. And travel's tough enough as it is, so we want to get on that. So when he said it only takes a hundred, I'd like to clarify it's 100. A or a uh is what he said. Did everybody else catch that? And I was the only one that felt, what did he say? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll save the time in the next service, and I won't explain that announcement at all. Trick question, there is no next service after this. All right, well, here we go. Uh, Hopefully you've been participating in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Today is day 14, which means we've only got one week left. If you've not been participating, yeah, we're excited about that, Jeff. If we've not been participating, join on in. There's just one week left. And uh, it's, it's, uh, there's a parable about the, the owner giving the same thing to people who joined in later on. So we'll be a little frustrated that you didn't join in from the beginning, but we would say join in now is better than nothing. So that's going to be a great thing. And if you've been on it, keep going. This is the down, the, the back stretch, the down stretch, whatever it is, it's about to end. Praise the Lord. So it's going to be good. Well, uh, hopefully you got your note sheet there uh, titled the message. God answered so many prayers last week. Um, talked about God do it again spiritually, what he's doing in us. God do it again financially, what he's going to do for us. And then God do it again relationally, what he's going to do around us. And so we know it's kind of that progression that God gives things to us and through us to be a blessing to those around us. Today, we're talking about God do it again physically. We're talking about physical healing, but I've titled it, God Answered So Many Prayers, because that's our belief, our desire, even our declaration today that God has answered so many prayers. Amen? Amen. So uh, as we do every year during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, we begin the year uh, releasing a word I believe that the Lord has given to me. Sometimes it's a physical word or just a, a directional word. Sometimes it's an eyelash, MII, whatever it is. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, that we believe God is setting the course for our year. And so we uh, heard this, or I heard this, and shared it in Kazakhstan. And we shared it on Scoreboard Sunday. And uh, I believe our word this year is a Hebrew word. So you're not going to find it actually in the Bible if you read it in English. But it's a Hebrew word, what was written in the Old Testament. And the word is aduth. And what it means is God do it again again, with the same power and authority. So that's what we're believing and uh, charging after all that God has for us this year. He's done 
many great things in our lives. We, we, many of us could share testimony after testimony of what he's done in us, what we've seen him do, but we don't believe he's done. We believe and we're asking, we're even declaring, as we talked about on Wednesday night at prayer gathering, that he is going to do it again. Amen. So last week we gave our theme verses for the month, for this series. I think for the year is Psalm 126 and verse four. We read it in the message translation. Coincidentally, it simply said, and now God do it Again, so of course that has to be our day verse. We, we're not just believing that someday, somewhere out there, wish upon a shooting star or sundog or whatever we had this morning. It was pretty, but that's not what we're praying to about or for. We're saying, God, now would you do it again? That when you look around at the world in which we live, the society we're in, the needs that the people of God have, we need him to move now on our behalf. And we've seen him do it before and we're believing that he's gonna do it again. Amen. You know, we sing a song, make room. And that's one of the things that we do in times of prayer and fasting. We're setting aside time. We're making room for him to do something in us that previously we would have given time to for something else. I think it's so great that the Buffalo Bills even made room for me to preach longer today and they moved the football game to Monday. So I'll be done before the Buffalo Bills kick off. Their game was supposed to be at noon today. It's at 3.30 tomorrow. So hopefully, I almost said, you hope you brought a snack, but I hope you didn't. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, nothing will make me. Anyway, so next week, Scoreboard Sunday. Come on, it's gonna be awesome. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter one. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we read God's word together? I'm gonna read today out of the New Living Translation. That's the version, translation I'm reading from, from my devotion. So I'm gonna read with that and we'll get there. Hopefully you got one of these uh, name tags on the way in. It's not so that everybody else knows who you are, but I'll talk about it later in the sermon. Uh, ask for the bold. So we're writing down bold prayer requests that we're believing for from God. And so when you leave, if you didn't write one down already, or maybe you got another one, put it on, write it on this, put it on the wall. There's something about putting pen to paper uh, where it raises our expectation of what God is gonna do. And then we're able to pray for those throughout the week. We did so on Wednesday night. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. This is Paul's letter to the believers in Corinth. Uh, if you do some studies, the church in Corinth, those believers were going through some real similar stuff that we are here in America. So it's kind of like a parallel track. He wasn't writing to us, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he was writing for us. Okay, so this is to the believers in Corinth, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it would be for us as well today. And this is what the Apostle Paul had to say. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it, like winter in Minnesota. Verse 9 in fact, we expected to die. But as a result of this hardship, of this trouble, of this season of struggle, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God. That's one of the things that prayer and fasting does. It diminishes our reliance on ourselves and increases our awareness of our reliance on him. And Paul said it was this struggle that brought him to a new understanding, a new revelation that I can't rely on myself. I can only rely on God who raises the dead. Yeah. Yeah. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. He 
did it before, and he will rescue us again. He said, hey, Duth. He didn't because that was Hebrew. He was in Greek, but he will rescue us again. In fact, we've placed our confidence in him. Another translation says our hope in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Come on, he did it before, he's doing it now, and he will keep on doing it. He'll continue to rescue us. And I love this, verse 11. And you're helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. I bolded those words. It became our title here this morning. God answered so many prayers. Come on, we're not just believing that one person's prayer is gonna be answered. We're not just believing that two people's prayers are gonna be answered. We're believing today God is going to answer so many prayers. Amen. Seven people are believing for that. So that means eight would be so many. We got faith for seven currently, but I'm gonna get warmed up and then we're gonna believe for so many. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the revelation of your son, Jesus, the great gift of the Holy Spirit. So we ask, give us ears to hear what you're saying. Let faith rise in this place. Help nobody leave the same, but everybody changed by one moment in your presence. We give you thanks in advance for the miracles, the healings that you're gonna do for your fame and for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Hopefully you got a note sheet. I got four points on it from our text. We're gonna have a testimony and then we're gonna pray. So let's just jump right into it. Number one, talking about physical healing today. Number one, we will have physical challenges. This could be struggles, this could be a need, a shortcoming, but we will all have physical challenges. Why? Because even the apostle Paul did. This is what he said in, in that letter to the Corinthians. He said, we thought you ought to know about the trouble we went through. Now, of course, we recognize the constraints they lived with back then compared to now. We may not have thought about it, but we can all believe, understand, we don't have to imagine that back then, travel was more time-consuming and more laborious. When they said they're gonna go somewhere, they walked there, might have ridden a camel or a donkey, I'm not sure, we'll find out in Egypt when we go there, but, but it took a lot for them to go from one place to the other. Even now, in one announcement video, we're talking about visiting people that have moved here from Ukraine, we're talking about getting on an airplane, going to Egypt. Travel is a lot different now than it was back then. We understand that because of technology on top of travel, we, we learn a lot more. But back then, information was disseminated at a much slower pace. It took a while to get to different places. And I would guess, I can't be certain as I wasn't there, spoiler alert, neither were you, but I would guess that it was probable that things would happen in one town and people the next town over would have no clue because nobody had Facebook to talk about it. Right, so Paul was recognizing, he said, hey, you believers in Corinth, I mean, technically he said, dear brothers and sisters, but you might not know about everything I've been 
going through. And now we're more connected with our, uh, you know, different counties and states. We even talk to people around the world. This week, Pastor Vicente's been corresponding with the believers in Egypt. Wow, just through email, we can talk back and forth and get updates and understanding through the internet and social media. We get the highlights, we get the lowlights right away. We know a lot more about what is going on. And Paul was saying, you might not know, so let me tell you about it. In most ways... We know more about what's happening around the world these days than we ever did before. But here's what I I find crazy or or interesting to note about this, right? Maybe in part due to Instagram filters or cropping pictures for just the right angle and lighting and leaving things. we We only know what people want us to know. When we post a family picture with everybody in the same outfit and smiling, you know what we didn't post? The laundry all over the floor, the fight that we went through, and the bribe we had to give our little one to smile for this family picture so we could lie like everybody else that we've got it all together. (laughs) I'm telling you, we could start a movement. Just post the crazy picture. We all got (laughs) them. It would save us all frustration and giving our kids candy, another sugar high, just to take a picture. You know what? Our family's jacked up just like yours. Let's just skip to it. That's what we ought to do. But we crop pictures. We only show, you know, that's not to say, and well, you know, you always got to wonder what agenda is giving the information that I'm hearing. So basically nowadays I'm not willing, if I'm thinking straight, which I'm not always am, but I'm not willing to say, this is what happened. My new line is my understanding is this is what happened. Because sometimes we don't know. In truth, I don't even take your word for it. I've had well-meaning church people not tell me, they told me their opinion of what happened. But I'm not even saying because we want to, it's just we can't help. We all see things through a lens, a perspective or whatever's going on. And Paul was saying I know you guys think of me as this highlight reel. Paul had had a highlight reel of highlight reels, right? Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus. That's pretty cool. How many people have ever had Jesus talk to him personally, you know? Uh, Paul would go through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He would write two-thirds in the New Testament. Wow, that's a lot, or a third. And and so that's a lot. And uh, he, he did miracles. And so his Instagram, his social media highlight could be like, I was in this town and I preached there and I wrote this letter and it's in the Bible. And we'd all look at it. We'd be like, wow, Paul's got it awesome. And Paul was like, you know, dear brothers and sisters, it's true. I went there and I did this and I did that and God helped me there, but I got trouble too. I think Paul knew what we recognize, but we might not understand. We see other people's highlight and we're like, oh, I wish God could do that with me. And we don't see the Tuesday where God didn't do anything publicly in their life. Right? And we begin to wonder. And I think Paul understood a great truth. He was like, let me let you in on a little secret. I got troubles too. That just lifts my spirits. I'm like, man, if God loved Paul so much and believed in him so much, he was gonna speak through him and write books of the Bible. And even Paul had major issues, so much so that he didn't think he was gonna live. I guess I could have a bad day too. 
And this is the reality. If the apostle Paul had such significant physical struggle, be it sickness, some people thought he was beaten almost to death. Both of those things probably happened at different times in his life. And apostle Paul was like, I don't think I can make it. Well, now I don't feel so bad when I'm like, God, am I going to get through it? Because we all have physical challenges, right? It's the reality that we live with as humans until heaven when we're given our new bodies forever. Other translations might say that Paul described our earthly bodies as tents that need to be folded up one day. And I don't care if it's a cheap tent or an expensive tent, nobody likes packing up a tent. And that's the reality that we all go with, whether it's this year or next year, decade, we know we're gonna go through some type of struggle. Therefore, it ought to bring comfort to us to know It's not a personal attack. It's just a reality that all humans, everybody, even the apostle Paul had physical challenges. Now we don't really know what the trouble was. You know, I'll say for, you know, read something that one writer said. Basically, we don't really know what the challenge was. Some theories are that he was beaten by Jews so badly that he thought he was gonna die. Now, how many people know if you get beat that badly, you need a physical healing? Other people believe he was so sick that he thought he was going to die. How many people know if you're that sick? You need a physical healing. Either way, the primary beliefs, hypothesis, spiritual suspicions. By the way, your pastor operates heavily in that spiritual gift. If you're new, it's not in the Bible, but your pastor operates heavily in it. But the apostle Paul was sick or beaten so bad, he needed God to do a physical miracle in his body. And if you're here or you wanna stand in the gap for somebody else, say a friend, a loved one, uh, you're in good company because even the apostle Paul that did great things for God needed God to do a work in his life. This writer said, although we're unable to specifically identify what trouble Paul had, it permits believers today to apply this to ourselves whenever we find ourselves in desperate circumstances where deliverance seems impossible. So yes, if you got a little hangnail, we could pray for that. But I'm telling you, friends, if you've got something that you think it seems no hope, it's just no glimmer of light, that Paul was there too, And we all go through this. I thought you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I go through struggles too. Now, when we go through a season of struggle, when we have a physical challenge or issues and we just can't seem to see what, we can't seem to say how we're gonna get through it. Number two, we need a perspective change. This is verse nine. Every point is from one verse. We need a perspective change, especially when we go through struggle because we begin to focus on what we're going through. And here's what he says. It was so bad, we expected to die, which means we're pretty sure Paul had a man cult. We're pretty sure. It's in the Bible. That's funny. I don't care if you laughed or not. That's funny. I didn't say that in the first service. That was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit right in this service. Paul's like, I'm going to die. Eat some soup. I don't know. But... No, this was bad. He, he had a real issue. But it was in this moment of struggle or these moments of struggle. There's something about a prolonged struggle that he said, I could no longer rely on myself. 
but I learned I could only rely on God. This is a lesson that even the apostle Paul had to learn. Dare I say, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more he uses you mightily in the lives of others, the more you might need to learn this lesson. That you can't do this without him. One of my prayers to the Lord is, don't let me lie to myself that I don't need your help. Every week when I prepare to stand behind the sacred desk of the pulpit, I say, God, you can, you're the only one that can change hearts. You're the only one that can change lives. And that's the challenge for all of us, right? Paul believed he would die, this writer said. He was under such great pressure that he even felt he was given the sentence of death. Certainly the Christian life for Paul was no bed of roses. Some suggest that this experience changed his perspective on his own destiny. Before this struggle, before this extended season of infirmity, he expressed hope that he might be numbered among those who would be alive at the coming of Christ. He was like, I'm going through it now, but Jesus is about to return. And through this struggle, his focus shifted to the resurrection, even of the dead. Paul said, I might get healed now or I might not, but one day he'll continue to rescue me. Why? Because for the believer, death no longer has the final say. But we really gain that perspective, that understanding, that awareness in prayer. There's nothing like struggle to drive you to your knees in prayer. When you realize, I can't do it on my own. This is what we learn when we meet with our brothers and sisters around the world. The ones who can't do it, they recognize they can't do it on their own. They don't have the medical system or the financial means and they're just desperate for God to do what only he can do. There's, there's a difference in their prayers because they recognize there's not a Mayo Clinic to fall back on. They recognize there's not a retirement account to look forward to. They know their only help comes from God. And all of us who've been through an extended season of struggle or are going through a season such as that, like the Apostle Paul, we know there's something about facing imminent death that puts things in perspective for us. I've never met someone on their deathbed that was worried about the size of their retirement account or what the score in the football game was, right? We begin to there's something that happens when we realize no amount of human effort can fully combat the reality of death. You know, like, for those of you that are vegetarian, you think you're gonna live longer. But you don't. It just feels longer because you hate every meal that you have. You're gonna die just like us. I'm gonna go to heaven happy. You know, like, you're gonna go... Listen, here, there's not gonna be any vegetarians in heaven. The Bible says there's no weeping or gnashing of teeth, and I've never been happier than when I ate a steak. Come on, somebody. There'll probably be vegetarians in heaven. They'll get, anyway, there will be. You're going, right, Amber? Okay, praise the Lord. That's, I'm getting an email from a staff member. Anyway, don't email me, Amber. Email yourself, tell me about it. Okay. There's something that happens when we realize, no, this, this happened to me. As I mentioned you know, last week, I've mentioned before when I was 21 years old, 
uh, two decades ago, I was diagnosed with throat cancer going into my senior year of Bible college and, and it, it, I battled suicidal thoughts. Like, man, if it's just six months, what's the point? There's, I, I began to question and have to set aside and realize all the plans I had, places I wanted to go, things I wanted to see. None of that was gonna happen because you get that diagnosis. And it was in those dark days that I battled that I had to lay aside the things that I wanted. I, I was forced to be confronted. You know, as a 21-year-old, we're all Superman, Superwoman. We think we'll live forever. We can do anything. And it was in that moment that you get a diagnosis that you didn't plan for, weren't prepared for, weren't aware of, was even a possibility that you go, I can't rely on myself. I've got to rely on God. And like I said, it was weeks, even a couple months actually through that ordeal from, from learning about the diagnosis, the prognosis, the problem, the issue to when God healed me. But it was in those moments with him that I learned to trust him in a new way. Truthfully, that I probably would have never learned had my life always been a bed of roses. There's something about struggle in this life that helps us understand how truly our Heavenly Father loves us and how much He cares for us and how He'll always walk through us because our relationships are often built on a matter of convenience. But when the going gets tough, we might go a different direction, we might root for somebody else or we might have some, but He never leaves us nor forsakes us and it's in those moments of despair, not just that I walked through, many of you have been going through life, minding your own business, maybe kids are on the honor roll, and boom, you get hit with a diagnosis that you couldn't have seen coming. And all of a sudden, your world gets flipped upside down. Everything begins to be dizzy, and you realize there's nothing you can do apart from God. But even the Apostle Paul you would think a guy who had gone through everything he went through would have known this in advance. And he said, it was in this struggle that I learned to rely on God. I'm not saying those struggles come from God. No, no good father's like, you know what? I'm gonna really give my kid cancer just to see how they react. Come on, our heavenly father sure wouldn't either. But it's in those moments, the spiritual discipline that we go through is learning to trust him more, learning to rely on him more. It's one of the things about struggle in times of prayer and fasting. There's something about that, that physical struggle that says I'm not going to allow the cravings of my flesh to dictate everything. There's something in that struggle that says I don't have to rely on the next feeding nearly as much as relying on upon the next word that I receive from the Lord. In that struggle, we learn to rely on him. So my advice to you, if you're going through that season of struggle right now, it's not intended to sound trivial or pithy in any way, if that's the right word. I'm not trying to be flippant or just dismissive. But when you are in a season of struggle, when I'm in a season of struggle, like the Apostle Paul, we need to pray. Not because it's just the Christian response or the t-shirt you know, thing to say. It's only in prayer that our perspective will shift from our problem below to our Father above. Amen. It's only in prayer that we receive a heavenly 
perspective. It's, it's a perspective change. This is what we're believing for in these 21 days. We're not just uh, on a diet. We're believing for a new perspective, a heavenly perspective to help us in these days. God, show us what you see, not what I see or feel or think. God, show us what you see. And this is what happens when we fast, I, I got these off of social media because I want you to know good things are on social media as well. It's not just people complaining. I love this. They listed a bunch of things, 10, 11, 12. I didn't number them. And so I don't know how many there are, but I just want to mention to you things that happen when we fast. Then we'll move to number three. Uh, number one, fasting aligns us with the Father. Acts chapter 13, one to two. Fasting puts our faith where our fork is. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Job 23, 12. Fasting humbles us. Psalm 35 and 13. Fasting reminds us or reminds our flesh that it's not in charge. Matthew 4 and 4. Fasting prepares us. Nehemiah 1, 4. Fasting is a means for revival and reformation. Come on, we need that in our land. Isaiah 58, 6 to 7. Fasting teaches us about repentance. Joel 2 and 13. Fasting trains us to persevere. Daniel chapter 12. 12 and verse 12. Fasting is necessary, catch this, for spiritual expansion. Luke chapter 5, 38. And fasting gives us heaven's perspective. Daniel chapter 9, 22 and 23. When we go through a season of struggle, we need, and I believe we can get, a perspective change. Could have been a change of perspective, but that wouldn't have lined with the theme of the notes that were all a word that began with C. All right, number three. <laughs> Some of you are guessing the points right now. I'll just tell you, number three, we have an eternal confidence. You have it whether you recognize it or not, but it's in prayer that you learn we've been given an eternal confidence. This is what Paul said, right? He did rescue us from mortal danger before. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned, like physically beaten, not like high. Okay. So somebody like him too, like different stoning. Okay. So, um, he had gone through these struggles and Paul's like, God came through before and we believe he will rescue us again. He said, Hey dude, God did it before. And I believe he will do it again with the same power and authority. In fact, he said, we've placed our confidence in him. Another translation says, we've placed our hope in him and he will continue to rescue us. Look at that perspective. It's not just what he did before. It's not just we're hoping one more time, we're gonna hold on and he'll do it, but he will continue to rescue us. In other words, Paul said he started rescuing us. He is rescuing us. He'll continue to rescue us. At no point did Paul believe he would stop being rescued by the hand of God. Now, Paul knew that death would happen. He said, it was so bad, I thought I was gonna die, and yet he now understood that for the believer, death didn't have the final say. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, who was crucified that for, the, for you and I, for the sins that we committed, because of those sins, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, the Father raised him back to life Paul was like, because death no longer wins, even if I'm sick, it doesn't really matter. Because one day I'll never be sick again. 
One day, Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride. And one day, Paul would write earlier in his letter to the Corinthians, right, the first letter, that we'll be caught up in a twinkling of an eye. This is what he understood. It was not as much about the temporary temporary provision and rescue, Paul had a revelation that one day we'll be with him forever. And therefore, whatever we're going through now is worth it because he's going to love us forever. He's going to rescue us forever. We have an eternal confidence. It's reminded me of those three Hebrew boys, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You grew up in church, you might've heard about it. The King Nebuchadnezzar, they created this big statue and they said, everybody's gotta bow and worship the king. They said, no problem. Well, one problem. You're not the big K king. You're just the little K king. You're King Nebi. He's like, don't call me Nebi. All right, I don't know. They said Nebuchadnezzar. That was not in the Bible. I just felt like what they said is respectfully, nope. They're like, do what you gotta do, but we can't bow and worship you. We only bow to the king of all kings. Not just the one that had a statue. We bow to the one that will worship forever. And they say, you know what? If you gotta throw us in the fiery furnace, go ahead, our God will rescue us. And then they said, but if not... You know what I think those words represented? An eternal confidence. Like sometimes we think, ooh, they were so sure he'd rescue them. They were like, and if not, we still will, but we know he's gonna rescue us. No, what they were saying is, we believe that even if you throw us in the fire, God will come through. But if not, death doesn't, it's not the final for us. It's not the end. Our worship just begins for the rest of eternity where we'll bow our knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who is worthy of worship, the one who's worthy to be praised. And they said, but if not, we've got an eternal perspective that we know who we're gonna worship Forever, I'm telling you, friends, we've got to rekindle. We've got to remind ourselves of this eternal perspective that there's one who's greater, the one who's more worthy, the one who will live forever. If not, I don't know what all's going on, but I'm telling you, friends, we're not hoping for temporary things. The author of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews chapter 6 and 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. Our hope is not in temporary things. Our hope is not in things that will let us down. Our hope is not in things that will come and go. But our hope is in Jesus alone. I'm telling you, friends, I don't know who this is for, but it's for you today. You came in today. You're not sure if you would make it. You didn't come here by accident or happenstance. You were wondering if this would be it. You've been doing your best, but it hasn't been enough. And all signs point to a bleak end. But let me tell you, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are going to make it. I wrote in my notes, I encourage myself, I encourage you with it today. I'm gonna say it again for the naysayers and the fear mongers and the doomsday doubters. (laughs) That was fun to type it, but I'm telling you, friend, you are going to make it. Because God has rescued us before and he'll rescue us again.
And we believe for all of eternity, he will continue to rescue us forever. Some of you may be wondering, well, well, Pastor, how do you know? Because the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Come on, the same power is available to us each and every day. That means we're not going under, but we're going over. We're not gonna stop short. We're gonna cross the finish line. Hebrews 10, 39 says, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we have faith and are saved. Come on, we've got an eternal confidence, friends, that we're not gonna give up. We're not gonna look back. We're gonna believe and be saved. Come on, most of us can look back in our lives and see when God has rescued us for something. If we look far enough back, some of us, it's a little bit quicker look than others, but if we look far enough back, we can see the sin that he saved us from. We can see the struggles that he's rescued us from, but I'm telling you, he also rescues us from hopeless situations. It's not really a hopeless situation because he is our hope, but it feels hopeless. Come on, we've been there, haven't we? When we just didn't think there was any way it could happen, we were just sure the doctor's prognosis or whatever it is. But with, for the followers of Jesus, we always have hope. I was reminded on Thursday, Pastor David Wynn had worn a sweatshirt in the office and right on the front it said, hope as an anchor. Now, if you've been here for a bunch of years, you might remember when we were praying with David and his wife, Jess, for a miracle baby that we now see, we love, little Olive. But there was a time where they had to hold on to hope as an anchor. And I was reminded of this, not just when I saw the sweatshirt on Thursday, so I put it in the sermon, because you gotta be careful not only what you say you could end up in the sermon, you gotta be careful what you wear to the office and you could end up in the sermon, praise the Lord. So, uh, but a couple weeks back when I went to the ICU and visited little Olive after she was having seizures and then got to go to a different floor in the hospital, see the Koku family, see a video from them next week. It's gonna be awesome. But this week about Olive, I was reminded, God, you came through a while back. And as I was going to the hospital saying, God, we believe you're gonna come through again. And in that moment, I just reminded myself, because God already knows who he is and what he can do and all of those things. I reminded myself, not only did he come through hope as, hope as an anchor, right? We believe for baby Olive. Then it was like, you're gonna come through now. Now she's not in the hospital, not in the ICU and, and no seizures for a bit. Then we, we know no matter what happens going forward, we know you're gonna come through again. Hope as an anchor. We're not hoping for temporary things. We know that no season of struggle, no storm, no trouble, no calamity can steal our hope because our hope is secure because it's in Jesus. We've got this hope as an anchor. So our eternal confidence. All right, number four, I got to finish because we've got a testimony and we're going to pray. And I got till tomorrow at 3.30 to finish though when Buffalo kicks off. All right. Number four, I love these times because I don't really worry if I go long because uh, I know you're not going to admit to me that you're going to Cracker Barrel for lunch. So I'll just preach as long as I want and you can get there whenever you get there. All right, number four. I'm not saying you're not going to Cracker Barrel. I'm saying you're not going to admit to me you're going to Cracker Barrel. You know what I mean? Anyway, so number four, when you're going through these seasons of struggle, you and I, we need a praying community. I'm telling you, you came to the right place here today at celebration, but we know we need a praying community. He said, and you are helping us by praying for us. 
The only people who don't think prayer makes a difference are the ones who don't pray. Those of us who are committed to praying, those of us who've been there, we've prayed through these seasons, we know the difference prayer makes in our lives and in the lives of those who we're praying for, right? We can't always quantify it. We can't always explain it, but we know it's helping because prayer is this connection point between heaven and earth. It was Jesus who taught us to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. You might be familiar with those words when it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in prayer that we see heaven invading earth. It's in prayer that we kind of pull the two together. We're that connection point through prayer for the needs that we're facing and the power that's available to us. Prayer is that connection And there's something beautiful about being trusted. I consider it one of the greatest privileges as a believer, not just as a pastor, but as a believer to be trusted by someone else to pray for them. For them to communicate, my hope is in God, but I'm trusting you to bring this before him. There's something powerful. Don't ever take it for granted when somebody says, will you pray for me? Sometimes you might think, not you, but people in other services, that you know, it's an interruption to your schedule or just another thing. Why don't they pray for themselves? But hear me, friends, when someone gives you a prayer request, I'm gonna pray for the microphone reception right in that area. When someone gives you a prayer request, know the trust that they're communicating to you in that moment, that their hope is in God, but they trust you enough to say, would you bring this before him? What a privilege to be trusted by someone else, to bring a need, to bring a request to the Father. We need a praying community. It's in prayer that we see heaven touch earth. It's that connection point for the supernatural to invade our natural. As we mentioned, the word that my wife Dana had received that we're gonna ask for the bold this year. So write those down, put it on the wall, and we're gonna be praying for those throughout the year. I'm convinced, I'm as convinced as ever that what we're gonna see God do in this place and in our lives will only be done through prayer. It's not gonna be because we got a cool color palette and it worked out. It's not going to be because the slogan was grammatically accurate. It's not going to be because we're cool, calm, and collected. It's only going to be through prayer that we see God come through in our lives. We can't do this on our own, and it's a joy to pray for one another. The apostle Paul was used mightily by God. To this day, people around the world, over a billion Pentecostal believers, but more than that, a couple billion know the name of the Apostle Paul. They know who he is, what he did, wrote these letters, became books of the Bible, the miracles, the journeys. People take travels. I want to do it someday before I die to go and walk where the Apostle Paul walked and talked and pocked. I don't know what that is, but if he did it, I want to be there too. This is cool. But I think many of us, myself at the top of this list, have overlooked this tiny truth. I've preached uh, hundreds of messages in my time here at Celebration, over a thousand in my time of ministry, without a doubt, including Bible studies, prayer encouragements, and I've never preached a message or focused in on this point 
that the apostle Paul acknowledged that the help he received from God was through the prayers of others. This is what he said in verse 11. And I believe a lot of the testimony is shared by those who are praying. He said, and you are helping us by praying for us. I've never heard a message about the apostle Paul's prayer support. I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm the one that preaches, so figure it out, preacher boy. I get it. And yet we see this truth. We overlook the prayers that make things possible. We look for the big public, oh, what's Paul gonna say? What's he gonna do? And he's gonna defend the faith on the steps at Ephesus and go, Paul, go. But Paul said, I can only do it because of the help of your prayers. Could it be that many around us have not been able to do what God has called them to do because we haven't prayed for each other enough? That we've minimized our responsibility to pray for one another, not just the Apostle Paul, not just a pastor, but I can tell you, it does something special to me when I get a note from somebody that's saying, I'm praying for you, Pastor. I'm praying this verse specifically. It puts a little boost in my step, a pep in my step, whatever it is. I'm telling you, there's something that happens and it's not limited to just pastors. You're like, well, how could I help Pastor Derek do this? Or how could I help my neighbor do that? I'm telling you, when you pray for somebody and go ahead and let them know you're praying for them, Paul said, this is really only happening because you're helping me by praying for me. Oh, I hope you never take for granted the spiritual significance of praying for somebody else. Paul wasn't done writing letters. And think about what still needed to happen. And he said, you're helping me by praying for me. I'm telling you, we don't take it for granted when we pray around here. We pray for you every week. We pray for every need that gets turned in. We pray at prayer gathering. I love how we ended on Wednesday night. Most of the time we end this way, but sometimes you know time is all weird. But making sure we get time to pray for each other in a group of three or four, because there's something, or five or six, because some of y'all can't count. But there's something about saying, this is what I'm going through, and then letting each other pray, because something you're helping us by praying for us. I'm telling you, friends, something significant happens and we need a praying community. I've noticed this reality. I'm gonna have Miss Dee Dee come in just a minute. In just a minute. I want one reality then I'm gonna have her come. I gave her the hand motion and air traffic controller. Here's what I've noticed. I, I don't know if you've seen this to be true in your life. And in, as prayer decreases, isolation increases. And as prayer increases, isolation decreases. Why is that? There's a connecting aspect of praying for each other. Now, I know some of you are thinking like right away, oh, COVID, social distancing. Let me prove it to you in a non, I'm not talking about you sit closer to somebody, although you might. But there's something that happens when we go on a trip together. It's not so much about what happens on the trip, but we just spend so much time praying with one another and in community with one another, you just get closer to somebody else. But it was the number one question I used to always ask when I would uh, talk with a couple come in my office. They're like, we're fighting all the time in our marriage. We don't like each other. We say we love each other, but we know we don't like each other. And I just, almost all the time, any couple that was struggling, I would always just ask them, hey, how much do you, time do you spend praying for each other and with each other? I met very few people that spend a lot of time praying for each other and with each other, and they still hate each other. 
By the way, that's a good tip. If, you're, if you want to get married and you're not, you could just start praying for that person. Maybe the Lord will bring them to you. I don't know. It's just, as prayer increases, isolation decreases. That's a, a free dating device. I don't know. If it, if it doesn't work, I didn't mean it, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Think about outside of marriage and family right now. Think about a coworker and that one that just always gets out. Do you pray for them enough? Because something will happen in prayer. It doesn't mean that they change all their bad behavior. I'm not lying to you. What I'm telling you though is you'll get a heavenly perspective that I believe you'll start to care for that coworker in a way because if God loved them so much to send his son Jesus to die for them, in prayer, we'll see that love that God has for them and we'll do our best to explain to them as well. So I'm having Miss Dee come and share testimony before we pray for you. As we shared, you know, we're going to be uh, praying for people. Let's give Miss Dee a hand as she's coming here today. Um, Thank you, Pastor. In a few moments, we're going to invite the pastors and prayer partners forward, and we're going to pray for people with needs. But uh, Miss Dee earlier this year, we had, or last year, I guess, technically, because we're in 2024, um, we had commissioned you on behalf of the Minnesota district to become the chaplain, which means you get to go to hospitals and hospice care and different places and pray with people. Sometimes they, they might be from a church at different places in Minnesota, outstate, and the, the hospital here in the cities where they come to, and you can get there quick. It was what your husband Carl had done uh, before that. And so uh, that's been awesome. And then last week, you just retired from your career at Wings Financial. And uh, you got to go pray for something. There's a miracle testimony that we want to share with everybody before we pray. But let's maybe rewind a little bit because the Buffalo Bills don't kick off till tomorrow. So have time. Yeah, just a little bit of time. Let's, let's rewind and just say you and your husband, Carl, were the very first kids pastors here at Celebration. So uh, it was a few years ago, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, and so Jack's happy about that. Nobody else is. That's okay. We love you. But <laughs> they weren't here back then, so they don't care. But Sue loves you too. Anybody else? Love Where's Kenzie? Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and then you moved around, did ministry around the country. And then we're back here in Minnesota, and your husband, Carl, had a real bad, almost 20 years ago, real bad health battle. He did. And uh, basically lived in hospitals for almost a decade. So take us back to that, because I think it matters for what God's using you to do now. Okay. So for seven years, okay, so for nine, the last nine years, my husband was the chaplain for the state. Yep, that is true. But but prior to that time, my husband had a seven-year health battle that made him spend 30 days a month for seven years in the hospital. So we spent 30 days, uh, um, you know, a month. I mean, it was um, 30 days a year, I'm sorry, um, for seven years. I was like, 30 so, days yeah, a no, month? No, no, 30, I'm sorry. Yes, 30, 30 days a year that we February. spent. February. So yeah, we were 30, there a lot. We were there a lot. Year. Thank you, Pastor, yeah. for correcting yeah. me. I was and doing then, the math. And then, um, uh, so in 2014, on Father's Day, um, but he had to like live on a feeding tube. He, oh yeah, yeah. So for seven years he had nothing by mouth. He ate. He he didn't do any eating or drinking by mouth for seven years. He had a feeding. He had a TPN, which was a nutrition through an IV, and then he had a feeding tube, which was a GJ tube. So anything that went in came right out. Um, he would chew and spit out. I mean, if you wanted to really enjoy Thanksgiving, that's what he did. I know that's it sounds like me gross. During fasting. That's just yeah. That's yeah. So that's what he did, and for seven years that's how he lived. Um, on Father's Day. He, they came in and said, you know, there's no hope. He's sepsis and there's no hope for cure for your husband. So finish, make your arrangements. And, and um, we were going to keep him here a little longer, try to figure this, you know, like maybe do some antibiotics or whatever. He said, nope, I want to go home. They said, you can't go home, Carly. goes, I want to go home. So we went home on Monday after I got off work. 
I took him home, and on that night, he said, Didi, I'm hungry. And I said, Carl, you know what that means. You're going to eat. You're going to get sick. You're gonna... He said, nope, I want to eat. He ate yogurt for the first time, and it went, and he was able to digest it. So on Tuesday, he woke up, said, I feel great. By Wednesday, he was eating cheese pizza, Come and on, the rest somebody. is history. He was healed. Yeah. He got a call from Clarence St. John, who said, now that God's healed you, I want you to be the chaplain of the state of, state of Minnesota, and the rest is history. That's what he, And he just jumped right in. My husband uh, was a amazing amazing that was 2014 that was 2014 and he did it till current okay so in december of 2022 nine and a half longer than that so 2022 we were getting ready to prepare for his his dad's funeral which was going to be on december 20th but on the 19th as we were preparing for that service my husband got a call from the doctor and she said carl if you don't get here today you won't make it through the night. And he said, okay, doctor, I'm going to do my dad's funeral tomorrow, and I'll check in on the 20th. Came out to our family after that Zoom call and said, the doctor said, now my husband's not a liar, but this is what he said. The doctor said, I'll do dad's funeral, and then I'll show up at the hospital. And my daughter said, I don't think that sounds right. Can you just redial that number? So we did. He did. Talked and doctor got on the phone on the Zoom thing and said, and, he, and she said, I understand you told my dad that he, does, he could do his dad's funeral and then he would um, show up at the hospital after the funeral. And she said, no, on the contrary, I told your dad that if he didn't show up at that hospital today, he wouldn't make it through. So we ushered him with that. We took him in. He missed his dad's funeral. And three months to the day, almost, my husband went to be with the Lord. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So my husband is with Jesus, but I'm going to tell you how my faith stood. People say you weren't shocked, but I was shocked because I believed our father could heal my husband and miraculously raise him from the dead. And when his heart stopped at that moment, I put my hand on his chest and I said, God, if it is not your will, you raise my husband from the dead. You did it for Lazarus. You could do it for my husband. And that didn't happen. But my faith remained strong and believe in who my father was and what he was going to do. But I'm going to tell you something. When they approached me about this chaplaincy, I said, God, we have over 40 years of ministry. 40 years. And I've always been just happy standing by my husband's side and being a support to him. Never thinking we were going to do ministry separate. We were always going to do it together. So I said kind of no. Not, not going to do it, really. Mark Dean approached me and he, you know, said, well, you just pray about it. And so I prayed about it and then... Pastor Mark and I had agreed. We had already talked. We had prayed. We know what the Lord had said, but we needed you to hear from God. So we were like, well, just pray about it and keep praying until you get it right. And I, and I was... We true. already know, but go ahead, pray. Yeah, yeah, and I, and so I, he called me again and said, what's your thoughts? And I said... Well, I, God told me he chose me. He said, I'm choosing you. I want you to do this. And so I said, okay. But I'm telling you, like I had no, I didn't know what this was going to look like. I didn't know what God was going to do. And now I'm going to fast forward. I've been with my company for 22 and a half years at Wings. And I was retiring last, on the week ago, Friday, I was getting ready to walk out of that building. And we were having a little celebration, and I got an email from the church in Wilmer that said, 
we've been there, but we can't, you know, like they will call on the district. They directly emailed me and said they wanted me to go. You know, the pastor can't be here the whole time or their staff because it's in the cities, it's a drive. And so that's what they use me for, which is a blessing. I don't, I love that. So I, they called. Now remember, Friday I was walking away. I was thinking next week I'm going to sit down and look at my calendar, get everything organized. And it was like, uh, it didn't happen. So I went to the hospital. And when I walked in, I saw a young couple. They love the Lord, but I saw a young couple with a, ba- with a little girl, 10 years old. Name is Jordan. She was in Tibetan. I asked the mother after sh- sharing, I, ca- I, have her, I carry these vials around. I know it's hard to see these little vials, and it has a mustard seed in it. And we shared together about how we only need this much faith. You know, when I was going through my husband's journey, I asked the why sometimes. I'd say, Lord, you know, like, what's going on? Like, you called us. We, we're, he's suffering. Like, what is this all about, right? And, but I never, I always visited those places. I was thinking about when Pastor Derek was talking about when he had his journey. When we were going through those places and he was intubated, and I remember I took my husband off of life support not once but twice, and he recovered. But I would feel all those feelings, the sadness, the I'm giving up everything. And God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me or I felt it in my heart, and he said, it's okay to visit those emotions. It's just not okay to stay there. Amen. So I did that. So I was sharing with this parent who loved the Lord and was expecting their daughter to get, just prayed with me with an expectant heart. And I gave them these mustard seeds and they held on to this. And I said, may I pray for your little girl? And may I use my oil? And she said, yes. And the dad and I and the mother all prayed together. I went home, I hugged him, I loved on him, went home, and three and a half hours later, that little girl was off of that life support. And she, I went to visit her the next day, and that picture that you see is the the next time I saw her. Only God. Do it again, God. God can do this. He's so faithful. But the big thing was is that I was, he said, I chose you. I chose you to continue the ministry that you and your husband had. And that's the on, that is the only way I can do this. And I'm thankful for celebration and your support to me. I'm celebrating, celebration is our home. This is where you'll see me if I'm not ministering someplace else. But I covet your prayers. And without that, I couldn't do this. When Pastor Derek and the team, my husband planned his whole funeral. He was very intentional. I wasn't supposed to share this, Uncle Derek. Mr. Derek, uh, uh, Pastor Derek, Uncle Derek, whatever you are. We got until tomorrow, 3.30, it's no problem. Anyway. When they walked in, and we all looked at each other, I'm not going to lie, I was upset. Because he wanted to make sure that these guys knew everything about his service. And they came in, and they prayed for us, and believed God for that miracle as well until that day came. And then, again, my husband was gone six hours, and they were there again. And everything was worked out, and they did everything for our funeral. So I'm thankful to our God. Praise God. Praise God for all he's doing and what he's going to do. And I believe that all we need is this little mustard seed amount of faith. And today, if that's you, you just come. And you trust God in any circumstance that you have. God is doing a great thing, and he'll do it again. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to put this into practice. We need to pray in community. Many of you have come, and there's a need in your life going through something, maybe a a friend or loved one, and we're going to pray. I wanted Didi to share for a couple reasons. 
I don't want you to think if I would have just if we'd have just shown the testimony, you'd be like, oh yeah, they, they always talk about when everything's awesome. That'd have been Apostle Paul Instagram reel. But I wanted her to say, you know, we thought you ought to know that she's up here declaring, hey Duth, God do it again, knowing that less than a year ago she had prayed and her husband passed from this life to the next. So I don't want you to think that your pastor, your pastoral team, the prayer partners, we're not saying it's all perfect in our lives or it all happens the way we want, but I want you to know that no matter what we've been through, and we've all been through something, we're still standing and declaring in faith today, God do it again. So this is not some cheap magic trick. This is a deep conviction born through affliction, through infirmity, through struggle, through heartbreak. And I just found it a special kiss from your father in heaven, Didi, that on the last day at Wings, this retirement, this conclusion, it was almost like this launching of the next thing that God wanted to do. You were trying to mind your own business on your last lunch break at Wings Financial and he wouldn't leave you alone. And word comes in from him, or could you get to the hospital? And, and there you go. What a way to be confirmed as one door's closing, the next one opening, what God has spoken clearly for you to do. I think it's kind of a, a clear moment for you never to doubt that God's called you, he's gifted you, he's anointed you, commissioned you for this moment. But it's not just her, it's not just your pastor, it's, it's all of us. And that's what we're gonna do. You're helping us by praying for us. So we're gonna help each other this morning in the best way I know how, and that's by praying. So I'm gonna ask if you're able, would you stand to your feet here this morning? I know our time is kind of gone, you have to go, we'll let you do so. But uh, I'm going to ask our pastors and prayer partners to come forward at this time. Will's got some bottles of anointing oil, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We don't really have anywhere else to go, nowhere else more important that we need to be in. We're going to pray. As you come forward, let me just give you a little instruction. When you come forward, would you give them your name? and your need. My name is Derek and this is my need or I'm Derek but I'm standing in. Maybe you want to come for a loved one or a friend or a co-worker. Just who, the name and the need and we're going to pray. Team's going to lead us in song. We're going to be here as long as you need for prayer. But I'm going to ask everybody here, let's just make this a house of prayer that we need a community that prays for each other, a praying community. And so whether there's a need in your life or not, would you pray for others as they come? And when I pray, we'll ask if there's a need, come forward, team will lead us. And let's spend some time together in the presence of the Lord, helping each other, praying to our God today. If you guys over here, Becky, and if you guys wanna slide this way a little bit, everybody's a little bunched up over there, we're gonna pray. All right, Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to your throne of grace with confidence today because of what you've done, Lord Jesus. You made a way for us to come. You removed the obstacle, the barrier, the gap that our sin had created and you made a way. So now we ask Holy Spirit, minister, heal, set free, deliver, do what only you can do. We believe, God, you're going to do it again as you've done it in Didi's life, and you've done it in my life, and you've done it for so many others. God, today we believe, do it again. So today, hear the cries of your people. You know the needs that we have, and we ask, do what only you can do. 
In Jesus' name we ask. In Jesus' name. If there's a need in your life, come forward. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or the 10th time, reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.